Ready? Born ready. Welcome to another episode of Where the Party At. I am your host, Saba Long, and we are back in the studio after, I think, like three weeks. So if you've been missing Keith, my partner in pod, you will hear him on today's show. All right, y'all, let's get right into it with a story that I was kind of surprised by. So is homelessness in Atlanta down? According to the Point in Time survey, this is an annual survey required by the federal government. Uh, so every city has to do, th do this survey at the beginning of the year. So according to the survey, homelessness in Atlanta is down by 37% <coughs> compared to the last count, which was done right before the pandemic started. So that was in like January of 2020. So I just got to say, anecdotally, this doesn't track for me like it feels like the numbers are higher than that now one thing that did come out of the pandemic is city and county governments across the country did use federal COVID relief money to buy hotels and turn them into housing for the homeless this happened in atlanta too uh and right now in the city andre dickens just announced this the city has about 25 million dollars in new money uh, from the fed to purchase hotels and turn them into supportive housing. Of course, that's great. Um, maybe it's just me, but I worry that we're in these early days of having, you know, kind of tent neighborhoods across Atlanta. And then obviously, no city ever has zero people who are unhoused. That's not realistic. But the goal generally within the homeless advocacy community is for that homeless homelessness is to be rare and brief. By the way, Partners for Home, that's the city-related organization that does the point-in-time count for Atlanta. They found that 37% of Atlantans experiencing homelessness reported a mental illness. And then 32% reported some type of sus substance abuse use um, or disorder. So kind of in the same vein... During the beginning of the pandemic, we had some serious conversations and fear that millions of families across the country were going to be evicted because of their inability to pay rent. You might remember thousands and thousands of people across the country were laid off. Uh, lots of folks lost their jobs. So in Georgia, we don't have a true tenant's bill of rights. Now, there are some things that are in the law but there's not like a specified bill of rights for tenants and landlords. So the Atlanta City Council, uh, Councilman Byron Amos, he just filed a resolution. And just let me say one thing about resolutions. Those are non-binding. An ordinance is a binding law. So the, a resolution is basically like, hey, I think we should do this, not this is actual law. So he filed a resolution to create a tenant's bill of rights, and this was based off of some research from the Housing Justice League, which is a huge uh, housing advocacy group in Atlanta. Here's what he has proposed. A right to counsel in eviction proceedings, a dedicated office of the tenant advocate, 
which is not clear where that would be housed and if there's any money that would be required for that. Uh, third, information provided to tenants by property owner owners about their rights as tenants upon moving into the rental unit. Uh, reasonable limits on ever-increasing rents to stabilize housing costs. This is a big one that we've seen particularly over the past probably five months where landlords are increasing rents by 10, 20, 30% or even higher. Uh, another one, protection from discrimination on the basis of previous evictions, which may not have been justified. And then tenants should receive reasonable notice and an opportunity to cure any lease violation so that the stain of eviction can be avoided in the first place. And again, one of the reasons back to the top where we were talking about how uh, so much money was put into making sure that folks weren't evicted during the pandemic, because if you are evicted, you often end up trying to find a new place. First of all, it's going to be hard to find a place because you have that eviction record. And then two, even when the landlord does allow you, you will end up probably having to pay a much higher deposit because they see it as a financial risk. So the other thing this resolution does is it calls for the Georgia General Assembly, remember those are the state reps and state senate, uh, to allow cities to enact rent control without the need for state lawmakers' approval. So these are all some interesting things. Just a reminder, this is a resolution, not an ordinance. This is kind of like a, you know, testing the waters to see what the public opinion on this is. We'll see if it turns into actual law in the future. All right, so a couple of episodes ago, I talked about ATL budget. This is an effort that my organization and a few others are undertaking to help people understand the city budget process, which is going on right now. The city budget has to be approved uh, by the end of the month because the new fiscal year for the city starts July 1. So Mayor Andre Dickens announced that he's introducing some legislation for the council to approve pay raises for the city's firefighters. Uh, these increases are going to range from 7 to 15.5%. So last month, the Fire and Rescue Foundation, they held their annual fundraiser. At that event, the mayor said that firefighter increases or their raises would meet or even exceed what was recommended in 2019 in a study uh, that basically showed that Atlanta firefighters were not being paid um, on par with other fire departments in other parts of the region. And so at that event, the mayor said, hey, we are going to either meet the recommendations for this study or even exceed it. But what actually happened is that the administration proposed less than what was recommended. And so, of course, there was some pushback, uh, and so they kind of changed course. Um, so now, because of this, uh, these raises, the fire department believes it's going to have a much better shot at recruiting. Now, the fire department is short 200 firefighters. That's a very big deal. Why? Because it means that, and this is something every city has a fire protection rating, and that's based on how effective the fire department is in coming out and extinguishing a fire. So because we are so short, short-staffed, we could risk being downgraded. And that means that your insurance that you pay as a property owner could be affected because 
there's a greater risk on the insurance company. So uh, this is, again, another reason why I always encourage folks to pay attention to the sometimes boring things, but they actually impact your life. So just on the firefighters, the difference here is today a recruit in Atlanta has a starting salary of $40,000. By comparison, Cobb County, they pay a starting salary of $46,000. So if you want to be a firefighter, Obviously, it comes down to a $6,000 difference between Cobb and Atlanta. You probably would choose Cobb. Uh, But because of the pay increases, new recruits will now jump to $50,000. So that's great. Um, Now, remember, in in the election, Andre was endorsed by the Progressive Firefighters of Atlanta. That's basically the Black Firefighters Group. Uh, The main firefighters union did not endorse in the mayor's race. All right, one other interesting thing, kind of in Atlanta, Georgia related. Uh, The AJC um, reported on this story. The governor of New Jersey reached out to seven Georgia companies. They didn't say which seven, but apparently it was seven big companies trying to get them to relocate or even expand their operations in New Jersey. Why? Because the Georgia General Assembly passed that six week abortion bill. And so, But basically, the governor of New Jersey is like, hey, uh, come to New Jersey if you want to protect your female workers. Um, And he said, uh, the spokesperson said, Governor Murphy's encouraging businesses looking to stand with their employees to look at New Jersey, a state where they could be confident that the rights of women, the LGBT community and voters will always be, be protected. I don't think anybody took them up on the offer. Damn. Sorry, Jersey. <laughs> All right. Is there any space in Jersey? Yeah, sure. Oh. Is, Jersey's not full. <laughs> All right. Uh, we are going to talk about the West Coast, California. California had um, some interesting primary elections last week, and they got some national attention. So I'm going to highlight a couple of the races. Uh, The first is the district attorney race in San Francisco. Uh, The incumbent, Chesa Boudin, was booted out of office in a recall election. So the mayor of San Francisco, London Breed, who's a black woman, she is going to appoint someone else to take his place. There is an election in November, so he could decide to run again. Uh, If you've never heard of this guy, Chesa Boudin, Maybe I could describe him as the person you would get if Bernie Sanders and Angela Davis had a kid. Like he's incredibly, <laughs> he's, he's a really fascinating story. I mean, he's uber, uber, uber progressive. Um, so we have to read this guy's story. So some of the folks are questioning if his loss means that more of the progressive minded district attorneys are done, right? Are people tired of, super progressive folks in the district attorney type of position. I think his loss was really more about him than the policies he promoted. Um, So folks in San Francisco Francisco say that it was a lot of the same sentiment that happened in the school board races that happened a couple months ago. You might remember that. We talked about that on the podcast. And so you had uh, Asian community in particular come out strong and vote 
Um, and one of the things in the Asian community about this guy is they felt that as a prosecutor, he wasn't doing enough to address hate crimes in the Asian community. Uh, you might recall in California in particular, and obviously also in New York, there's been a lot of hate crimes uh, specific to the Asian community. Obviously in Georgia, we had the shooting here, the spa shooting uh, that was targeted to the Asian community as well. Uh, so that wasn't the only battle that Chase Boudin was fighting. The other was the San Francisco Police Department. So pretty early in his term, he kind of got crosswired with the department um, about prosecuting, choosing to prosecute or not prosecute someone who hit a police officer like with a beer bottle. Um, so now that he's gone, at least for now, the question is, how will the San, San Francisco Police Department change? Will we see a reduction in crime because the PD is going back to arresting people? I don't know. Uh, take a listen to this convo with some San Francisco Chronicle reporters. Obviously, Heather, one thing we talked a lot about was was the frame of this race. Obviously, a lot of people see it as as a fight over national issues and, and are frustrated that uh, they think that the national uh, reformist movement, you know, found a limit here. You've you've sort of pushed back on that and 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 you said this, uh, you know, that there has there's a balance and that this was not necessarily the the right wing in San Francisco that was pushing this. It was a lot of moderate Democrats. Yeah, I mean, there's no way that something wins with 60% of the vote if it's um, all Republican Trump supporters and billionaires, as um, some voting supporters kept saying. So I just think there's a huge frustration in the city. It's certainly not fair to blame everything on the district attorney. I've been also writing a lot about how the SFPD has fallen down on the job, and there's even speculation that they could be on a wildcat strike. They're not showing up to calls when um, people call 911 and need their help, or if they are coming, they're sometimes just watching as crime happens and not even filing reports. Some of them are telling residents that um, the district attorney wouldn't do anything anyway, so there's no point in making an arrest. So this is definitely a multi-pronged issue. Not one person is fully responsible, but I just think people who live in San Francisco are really fed up with the whole picture. Man. <laughs> That's a lot. Um, I've, 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 I've been looking at these numbers like again and again to make sure I'm telling this to you correctly, but Everything I've seen is that just under 15% of the San Francisco electorate showed out to vote, which is really low. Um, just in a comparison, in Atlanta's election last year, we were in the low 20s with voter turnout. Um, another big election in California was the L.A. mayor's race. You might be paying attention to this. Uh, you might recall the mayor of L.A. was tapped by the Biden administration to be the ambassador to India. And he's also term limited. Um, so if you thought last year's Atlanta mayoral election was bananas, the L.A. election makes us look pretty tame. Uh, the race is now in a runoff between Karen Bass. She's a black Democratic congresswoman. And Rick Caruso, who is a billionaire businessman and a real estate developer. He is self-funding his campaign to the tune of $39 million so far. Now, he's raised $2 million and he put in $39 million of his own money. He has been endorsed by a bunch of celebrities, including Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg! 
And then that one person whose name I won't say, but I'll just say that they have pimped black culture enough to become a black, to become a billionaire. So I think you know who I'm talking about. Uh, he also has the backing <laughs> of the police unions. Um, and he's doing much better with black men over Karen Bass. Uh, this seems to be a theme of black men and either black women. Uh, you know, I really just say black men not supporting some black women who are running for office. In fact, we will be seeing this more than likely right here in Georgia with Stacey Abrams. Just on a side note of that, I was at a political fundraiser a couple days ago and I said to one of the black candidates there, I said, you all, as a black male, I said, you all need to go on a black male tour across the state and gen up support for black from black men, because right now black men are not, they're not feeling it. They're not feeling Stacy. They're not feeling Democrats in general. And it seems to me that a black man who's a Democrat running for elected office would be the one that'd be able to maybe get them to change their mind or be a little bit more open. I mean, what did he say? What was his response? You're right. <laughs> See? <laughs> <laughs> I just think that at this point, it just has to be very tangible. You have to go to black man and say, this is what you're going to get, period. And if you can't do that, you really can't come talk to us. So that's probably the reason why he might feel that way. You know, it's... It's sad, you know what I'm saying? So we're going to see how, how it shakes yeah, out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. There's There are black men on the statewide ticket. Yeah. Well, assuming assuming that Kwanzaa wins the lieutenant governor runoff, he will be a black man on the statewide ticket. Uh, William Bodie, who's running for labor commissioner, if he wins his runoff, he will also be a black man on the statewide ticket. So that's two. Yeah, I mean, plus it's, state senators, state reps. I mean, you know, just go yeah, down. Yeah. The- All they have to do is come tell us, you know, what you offer us. Period. You know, when, and it's not even black men specifically. Just say black people. Um, but black women are black women are going to vote Democrat. Period. They, overwhelmingly. Yeah, that's why the black. So men it's are the, the ones. question of what is the what is the black man going to do? Are they going to vote for Stacey? Are they going to vote for Kemp? Are they just going to not vote in the gubernatorial and then vote in others? Mm-hmm. They're just only going to vote for the people who are who speaking to them. them. And, you know, unfortunately, what's going to happen is that if we do that this election term, black women are going to see, oh, we didn't get nothing either. And when 2024 comes around, it's going to be even worse because once you lose black women as a base, and you're done. It's, it's going to be done. You know, so yeah, just just holler at us. You know, come on the show. Okay, Warnock, you heard that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! Hey man, Warnock got some good commercials though. Shout out, shout out to his marketing team. (laughs) That last one with uh, on the on the football field, I thought that was real smart. All right, y'all. So March for Our Lives. I'm sure you've heard of this organization. It was founded after the Parkland shooting. It's a student student led group. They organize more than 450 marches across the country over the weekend. Um, And here's something that they put on their site. They said that the forces that fuel gun violence in our country are gun glorification, armed supremacy, political apathy and corruption, poverty, and the national mental health crisis. 
another item, I guess, in that list I would add is mistrust and anger. So kind of to that point about, you know, the forces of gun violence. Last week, a 26-year-old guy was arrested for saying that he wanted to kill Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Brett, beer loving Kavanaugh, that one. Uh, because of his stance on abortion. So this idiot was carrying a gun, ammo, a knife, pepper spray, a screwdriver, zip ties. What the heck? Uh, and he flew from California, allegedly flew from California to D.C. and took a cab to Kavanaugh's house. So he sees these two U.S. Marshals posted up outside the house and he's like, oh, well, let me walk down the block. As he walks down the block, he calls 911 on himself and says, I'm suicidal. I'm in the neighborhood of, I'm in Brett Kavanaugh's neighborhood and I want to kill him. Um, so he was arrested while he was on the phone with the 911 operator. And, you know, I guess he'll be behind bars for a long time. <laughs> um, but we're reaching this really peculiar point of, political violence in this country that I think it, it, we should be quite alarmed, right? I mean, this, this has been going on for a while. We had Gabby Giffords, who was shot, uh, what was that, maybe like eight years ago or something like that. You had the congressional baseball game that happened a few years back, and a couple of congressmen or people were shot, one particular, but he survived. And then January 6th. So you keep having this, like, steady but sure drip of political violence and it's a real problem because that's generally not what you see in first world countries i mean consequences that's all you need <laughs> you know what i mean well so speaking of uh the january 6th select committee hearing started last week so y'all were taping on sunday uh which means that I'm not, you're not going to hear me talk about the hearing that's going to take place Monday. Uh, and then there's, I think there's one or two more uh, in the rest of the week. So the one that took place last week had about 20 million people uh, watch the first hearing. Uh, the committee is chaired by a Democratic congressman named Benny Thompson. It's a black guy from Mississippi. He is the only Democratic congressman being, representing Mississippi, and he's the chair of the Homeland Security Committee. So I think, you know, that's someone who can understand the ramifications of something like January 6th. And then uh, Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney of Wyoming is the vice chair. Uh, if you don't know, Liz Cheney is the daughter of Dick Cheney, uh, and she is a thorn in the side of Donald Trump and a few other <laughs> Republicans. Um, so in September of 2020, the director of the FBI, this guy named Christopher Ray, he testified to the Homeland Security Committee, and he said this, and I quote, The underlying drivers for domestic violent extremism, such as perceptions of government or law enforcement overreach, sociopolitical conditions, racism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, misogyny, and reactions to legislative actions remain constant which is what we we're just talking about. The underlying drivers for domestic violent extremism remain constant. Uh, and so the footage they showed of the mob attacking, attacking the Capitol, 
I mean, we've seen most of it, um, but some of it was new footage. Some of it was footage from body cameras. I mean, again, I talked about this when it first happened. You're seeing people who claim to be pro-police and pro-thin blue line uh, beating police officers, kicking them, lunging at them, stabbing them with poles that have the American flag attached to the pole. Uh, and there's a Georgia connection to all of this, too. So there's speculation that Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger will testify about that infamous, quote-unquote, perfect phone call that he had with Trump. Um, and then last month, the select committee told Georgia Congresswoman, Congressman Barry Loudermilk that they wanted to talk to him about a tour of the Capitol that he led the day before the attack. So one of the things about this is that um, a number of these folks who did storm the Capitol did receive tours of the Capitol uh, in advance of the attack. A few other highlights, uh, Ivanka Trump, the president's daughter, said that she believed Attorney General Bill Barr and uh, his testimony. Bill Barr said that he told Trump that he lost and that what he was doing was bull, you know, the rest. Uh, Jared Kushner, who was in charge of presidential pardons, Jared Kushner is the husband of Ivanka Trump. Um, he said, you know, I wasn't really involved. Um, but we did find out in, in this that a number of Republican Congress people sought presidential pardons after what happened on January 6th. So they saw what happened. They thought, oh, crap, I broke the law. And they went to Kushner trying to get presidential pardons. They've only disclosed one individual so far, but we know that it was many. Uh, and that one that they've disclosed is Representative Scott Perry of Pennsylvania. Now, I've said before that January 6th should have been a wake-up call for the country, but we just unfortunately have not reached the tipping point quite yet. Take a listen to a snippet from Steve Bannon, my favorite villain, uh, his, podca his podcast, which was done the day after the first hearing. Take a listen to this. Last night, and we don't laugh in your face because we laugh in your face. Let me reiterate this. Donald J. Trump won the presidency again on the 3rd of November of 2020. And Mark Elias and all you guys, and let's leave the machines aside as a topic for another day. But Sisa already tells us it could be hacked six ways from Sunday. That's DHS. Donald J. Trump won the presidency. And he is the legitimate president of the United States. And your guy's illegitimate. And the American people are awakening to that. And we don't care what you have to say. And I dare Merrick Garland to take that crap there last night and try to indict Donald J. Trump. We dare you because we will impeach. We're winning in November and we're going to impeach you and everybody around you. <laughs> Screw the White House. We're going to impeach you and everybody in DOJ. So we dare you. I dare you to move on Trump. All this in here one and we know it's an audience of one and it's really Merrick Garland. Screw Merrick Garland. Trump won the presidency. You stole it. We don't care how many witnesses you bring up. It's not relevant. We don't care. We're bored. Here's what we want to see. What are you doing on the southern border? What are you doing with the economy? What are you doing with all the grooming you've got in every private So, <laughs> unfortunately, we are continuing to live in two Americas where one side hears uh, one thing and another side hears another. So, I don't know where we go from here, honestly. 
but I don't think the January 6th hearings are going to change much, uh, unfortunately, just because we already know a lot of the, a lot of the information that's out. And then um, we are also living in a world where people plug their ears, close their eyes, um, and ignore what's right in front of them. All right, so party poopers. We'll end this on a high note. So we'll just keep going down, and then we'll come back up. Turn out the lights. The party's over. <laughs> the party is over. Close the gates. What? All right, party's over. Everyone go home. Are you sure you want to invite this party pooper to poop on your party? I'm the party pooper. <laughs> um. My party pooper is the oil companies who were price gouging, the pundits and the media and the politicians who were talking to you about the price of gas with zero context for what's going on globally. So gas in America just crossed $5 a gallon. That's a good time to have an electric vehicle. Uh, if the oil companies adjusted for inflation, all signs show the price of gas should still be much less than what we're seeing at the pumps today. Gas should not be $5 a gallon. So what I want to do is just give you a little bit of context, not that this will ease your pain or make you less frustrated, but here's the price of gas, uh, the price of a gallon of gas in other countries, and these are all converted to U.S. dollars. So Puerto Rico, where a lot of folks like to go visit, $5.48 a gallon. China, who's actually getting a ton of oil from Russia, $5.50 a gallon. Uh, South Africa, five eighty a gallon. Germany, seven dollars and eighty eight cents a gallon. Damn. Israel, eight dollars and thirty cents a gallon. And Sweden, nine dollars and thirty one cents a gallon. Nope. <laughs> Better get you a bike. <laughs> All right. So, yep. uh, just want to give you a little bit of context of you know yes. Price, the price of gas in America is high. The price of gas across the, across the globe is high. So unfortunately, Democrats don't seem to be able to do a good job of communicating that. Uh, and so Republicans are doing a great job of pegging the, uh, the price of gas to Democrats and saying this is all their fault. Let's get it started in What's rule number one? Party. All right, so party starter. This week's party starter is a guy you've never heard of named Kenneth Mejia. He is running for LA controller. This is kind of like basically being the chief accounting officer for a city. Uh, this guy's only 31. He's in a runoff with an establishment candidate. Um, he's super left, but one thing I've liked about his campaign that he's done is that he's really helped people understand what the heck a controller does, right? This is something that we try to do on the podcast is help people understand, here's what this position is, here's how it impacts your life, here's how you should engage in this particular um, public office. And so he put up billboards across the city that showed people, hey, here's how LA's budget is being spent, or here are the things that a controller can do and is responsible for. Uh, his website has like a ton of really helpful information uh, for LA residents. 
Uh, he's done a really good job of launching and growing a true grassroots campaign. His, he was outspent uh, his opponent's establishment guy and raised significantly more money than him. Uh, but even still, Meia uh, had more votes um, and just had more kind of energy behind his campaign. So I always love seeing candidates in their 20s and 30s who are challenging the status quo and helping bring in younger folks, Gen Z, younger millennials uh, into politics and helping them realize that, hey, your vote does make a difference and you really can change things. And don't assume that uh, you sitting out means that nothing's going to happen to you. I think too often, I say this often on the podcast, too often my generation and the generation behind me leaves things to the baby boomers and what ends up happening is we're the ones who end up bearing the consequences of it. All right, y'all, that is today's show. As always, as always, thank you for tuning in. Um, If you are listening to this on a Tuesday, early voting is underway. Early voting started yesterday, Monday. So go ahead and vote in the primary runoff election. Uh, If you pulled a Democratic ticket in the primary, you have to pull a Democratic ticket again. Same thing on the Republican side. Uh, The election, the big election is in November. A whole lot's going to happen between now and then. Keep tuning in and we will make sure you know what to do on election day. Take care. Ha <laughs> ha